Um, as Francis said, we're in this series called Transformed. Um, and really, for me, this series began with our baptism morning. Just a few weeks ago, we heard stories there of men and women, some of them are in this room, whose lives have been transformed through meeting with Jesus. And that is really what this series is all about. It's a belief that actually the answer to the real things that we face today, things like despair and disappointment and discouragement, the answer to those things is not primarily something we need to do. It's someone that we need to meet with. It's a faith that Jesus is alive and wants to make his presence known to us, not just once, but again and again and again. And as I've been praying for you this morning and praying for those down at our town centre site, my prayer for you is this, that by the end of this meeting, you can go away knowing that you personally have met with Jesus. Do you believe that's possible this morning? Good, good. We can crack on then, that's good. Okay, we're talking today about transforming fear. And you know, fear takes many forms, because there's a, there's a kind of fear that is almost kind of exciting and exhilarating. Some of you perhaps will do things that you love that, that kind of scare you, and you, you love that feeling of being scared. I remember as a teenager, in the summer holidays, we used to go around the rocks in Cornwall, and we used to find the highest rocks that we could, and leap off these rocks into the sea. The sort of rocks that if your mum saw you doing it, she would never ever let you out of her sight again. Um, And there was something about it that was kind of exciting, but there was something too that was scary. And we held these things together, this kind of fear of it and this exhilaration of it, because you'd kind of look down over the edge of these rocks and you'd see the water below and it would just feel so far away. But kind of because your friends were doing it, you would do it too and you'd leap off Um, And I was all right, so that's good. Um, But it's the same kind of fear that you get on roller coasters. Any of you like those roller coasters that kind of take you up really, really slowly, and then you kind of hang over the edge, and then you drop down, and it feels like your stomach is going to come out of your mouth almost. It's this, this kind of terrifying thing, but also this excitement at the same time. And some fear is like that. And maybe some of you quite like watching scary films, the kind of film where you have to kind of watch it through your fingers, Or maybe for some of you, it's kind of scary books and things that you read at night because you like the kind of thrill of it. You like what it does to your heart. It gets your heart racing. Those things are are all good, and they're all kind of a fear. But really, we know with our rational part of our brain that when it comes to it, the threat there isn't that real, that we're not actually in too much danger, that we can put the book down or we can turn the film off, um, and the, the fear kind of goes away. But what about the other kind of fear? What do we do with those fears that aren't fun and aren't exciting and aren't exhilarating? The fears that we don't seem to have so much control over. Are we kind of stuck with those fears forever? You may have fears in this room. You may have fears that that you've had for years and years and years that you feel are kind of part of you. What do we do with those things? Can we get rid of those fears or are we stuck with them for good? Well, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible this morning where the disciples are caught up in fear. And just to set the scene, this is a couple of days after the death of Jesus, and rumours are starting to go around that Jesus has come back to life. But most of the disciples haven't seen this yet, so we're going to see what happens. We're going to be in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. It's a short passage, but if you've got a Bible, it's really helpful if you can turn to that now. We're going to stay in that passage um, throughout this morning. So John 20 verses 19 to 23. 
If you haven't got a Bible, that's fine. It'll come up on the screen behind me um, in just a moment. So I'm going to read this to you. John 20, 19 to 23. And this is truth. This is biblical truth. So let's be open to God speaking to us as we read from the Bible this morning. It says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were stood together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your presence. And I thank you for what your presence does. I thank you for stories that we've heard in this place of people who've met with you and whose lives have been changed because of that encounter with you. Lord, I pray you do it again here this morning. I pray you do it again here in this place today, Lord God. I pray you'd raise our faith levels. I pray you'd raise our expectation of what is possible in this time together because you are here with us, Jesus. Come and do the things that we can only ask for, the things that we can't even imagine, Jesus. Come and do those things. Come and surprise us, I ask, with your presence here today. I ask that, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want us to look just at two simple things today. Two simple things. What fear does and what Jesus does. What fear does and what Jesus does. And then we're going to look at what it means to have our fears transformed. So what does fear do? Well, our bodies have been made in an incredibly clever way by the law. Because when we're in danger, scientists say that our minds can sense it within about a tenth of a second. But there's this deeply wired thing in us that recognises the danger. And we react to it in some way. We do what we can to survive. And usually by either putting up a fight or by running away, by, by kind of running away and hiding. And that's what these disciples are doing, if you like. They're fearing for their lives and they've gone into hiding in this room. And we know what happens next in the story of these followers of Jesus. Because the book of Acts tells us that filled with the Holy Spirit, they go out and do miraculous things in Jesus' name. We read these stories of great courage as they heal the sick, as they tell people about Jesus. In the face of huge persecution, they stand up for the truth that they know. And the gospel advances and the church grows And we read that thousands of people are saved to the point where by Acts 17, these disciples are being described as men who turned the world upside down. Men who turned the world upside down. But right now, in this passage, on this first Easter Sunday, these men who transformed the world are just a bunch of guys together in a locked room. And what is it that holds them there in that room? It's fear. They're scared. And they're scared of the Jewish leaders. And it's understandable. 
in a way, because they've just witnessed their leader, Jesus, being crucified in this very brutal and deliberately public execution. And you can imagine what's going through their minds at this time. They're probably thinking the same thing that you and I would likely think. They're thinking, well, what's to stop the same thing from happening to me? The thing that I've just seen happen to Jesus, what's to stop that from happening to me? And you know, Jesus has even told these people they'd experienced persecution. He's told them that by following him, they'd experience the hatred of the world. But now it is very, very real for them. And so they're scared. Their lives are at risk. They're scared of death. Now it's Remembrance Sunday today. I can only begin to imagine the fear of being caught up in the brutality of war. We've reflected on it today, but the fear that must have gripped a young soldier on the front line in the First or Second World War, on whatever side they were fighting for. The fear of a family member waiting at home to hear the news of a loved one. The fear today that must grip a people group or a city or a nation that's under attack. Our broken world can be an incredibly frightening place to be. And perhaps you've known fear like that yourself. Maybe you've experienced kind of life-threatening situation where you've, where you've really feared for your life. I count myself so fortunate to live in a time and a place where though things might be volatile politically, we live in relative peace. But even if we're not fearing for our lives, we don't have to scratch too far beneath the surface to see that some kind of fear is often there. Perhaps a fear of rejection, perhaps a fear of missing out, or a fear of failure. And actually, some of these fears can be quite helpful because they motivate us to do something about it. They can make us turn to God. Not many things make me lean on God like knowing I'm preaching on a Sunday. It's true. There's a, there's a, it's, I enjoy it. It's a, it's a real privilege. I love doing it. But the fear of not having anything to say in front of a room full of people, well, that makes me ask God for help. It makes me pray. But the problem in many situations, certainly from my experience, is that we can respond to, a, to fear in a way that isn't actually helpful. I remember when I was in school, I remember having this fear, this deep-rooted fear, it seems, that the teacher would ask me a question in class in front of my friends. And that might sound really stupid, but it was a fear of what other people would think of me. And i kind of go bright red in the face and I'd feel myself doing it. And that kind of fear can be paralyzing, if you like, instead of motivating. And as I reflect on more of my life, I wonder how many of the things that I've done, how many of the decisions that I've made have been made in some way out of fear. As a teenager, I remember feeling so worried about what people would think of me that I wouldn't dare stand out and I'd do almost anything to fit in. To the point where I'd be one person amongst one group of friends and another person amongst another group of people just because I, I really wanted to fit in. Even today sometimes, going into conversations, not thinking, how can I love this person really well? But instead, what words will make me most accepted with this person? Which words will cause least opposition in this situation? And it's what the Bible calls this fear of man. An overemphasized concern about what other people think of you. And it can make you act in ways that just aren't you. And say things that you don't really believe. And it's almost like you can kind of go into lockdown. Like those disciples in that locked room. Fear does that to us. We can lock the door. We can shrink back. We can hide away. Fear can immobilize us when we know we should take action. 
It can make us silent when we know we should speak out. The the Methodist missionary Eli Stanley Jones said it like this, that fear is the sand in the machinery of life. Fear is, it kind of grinds, it's like bits of grit that get into the machinery and slow it down and stop it from doing the things that it was made to do. I wonder, what fears do you recognize in your own life? When you look beneath the surface of the kind of things that you do and say and think, what fears are there below the surface? What kind of things are you scared of? What I've noticed is that fear lies to me. It lies to me. There's an ancient German proverb that says, fear makes the wolf bigger than he is. Fear makes the wolf bigger than he is. I think that describes it well because fear distorts reality. Fear tries to convince me that the things that I'm facing are bigger than my God. I'm reading through Isaiah at the moment and the Lord promises that there that when I pass through the waters, he'll be with me. That when I walk through the fire, I will not be burned. But fear tries to convince me that isn't true. Fear tries to convince, convince me that God is somehow distant or that he doesn't care or if he does care, he's incapable of helping. So if you noticed how many times in the Bible you get the words, fear not, or don't be afraid, God God keeps on saying that to his people. Why? Because so often it's fear that threatens to keep men and women from trusting and obeying God. And here in this passage, the disciples are in this room, and the door is locked. They're scared. They're in this atmosphere of fear, and into that fear, Jesus walks. You know, the eternal God who spoke life into being, who watches over the universe, cares about your personal fears and wants to do something about it. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that an incredible thing? Why does he want to do it? Because he he hasn't made you to hide. He hasn't made you to be locked up in a small space. He wants you to be free of those fears, even more than you do. He wants your freedom even more than you do. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. So what does Jesus do? We're going to look through that passage at what Jesus does. I think it's beautiful. It's wonderful what Jesus does with his disciples here. It says in the passage first that he comes and stands among them. He comes and stands among them. See, the doors were bolted shut. And yet Jesus is there suddenly standing among them. doesn't need to knock doesn't need someone to open the door for him. He's not a ghost. He has a physical body. He can eat and drink and breathe and talk. He's just suddenly there in the flesh. And he's more real than the disciples' fears. See, it turns out that if you can walk away from the grave, you can also deal with a locked door. That doesn't cause too much trouble for Jesus. And you know, the disciples had locked the door to keep themselves safe. But here's the truth, that no one is safe from the resurrected Jesus. Because there's no part of your life that Jesus cannot go into. There's no depths of you that he doesn't understand. There's no fear in you that is so deep-rooted that he cannot touch it and transform it. You may have fears here this morning that are so deep in you that you wouldn't dream of telling anyone about them. Well, Jesus can go to that place and transform those fears. Things that have held you captive perhaps for years and years and years, he can free you from them in a way that no one else and nothing else can. And you might be here this morning and you might say, well, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not someone who's, who believes in Jesus. And you might feel like the door of your life, if you like, is locked to Jesus. Well, I want to tell you there's no locked doors to Jesus this morning. There's no locked door in the world to Jesus. No one's safe from him. 
That was the experience of those who were baptized the other week, that Jesus broke into their lives. That's my experience too, that he made himself known to me in a way I wasn't expecting. He came and he pursued me. He went after me. And those fears that were in me, that some of them are still there in a way, but he's transforming them and changing them. They don't have the power they once held over me. There are no locked doors to Jesus. And into this room of fear, Jesus comes and he stands among them. And translated literally, it says that he came and stood in the middle of them. And I love that because that's where Jesus wants to be. He wants to be right in the middle of his church. He wants to be right in the middle of our lives, in the middle of our relationships and our conversations and our careers and our plans and our hopes. Jesus wants to be right in the middle of all those things. And so if you're full of fear this morning, I want to encourage you to invite Jesus to come and stand right in the middle of your life, right in the middle of that thing that terrifies you. He comes and stands among them. And here's what he says. He says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I love that Jesus always seems to know at any time what his followers need to hear. And he always shocks me with his kindness, with his goodness. I mean, what would you have said to these followers of Jesus? They've spent three years with Jesus. They've seen who he is. All those conversations they've had, all those miracles they've witnessed. They've seen Jesus, some of them transfigured on a mountain, seen him in some of his glory. They've seen him speak to a storm. They've seen him raise the dead and heal the sick. And now here they are hiding away in a locked room. But Jesus, is he frustrated with them? Does he kind of call the whole thing off? Does he look for a braver bunch of people to send out on mission? No, he says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. If you're someone who struggles with fear this morning... I want you to know that you're not discounted from the mission that Jesus has called you for. Maybe like me, time after time, you've let your fear get the better of you. If that's you, Jesus doesn't give up on you. He hasn't given up on you. He says to you this morning, peace be with you. I want you to receive that this morning. Peace be with you. And those words are part of a standard Hebrew greeting. People still say that in the Middle East today, peace be with you. But here, here it must have carried so much more meaning and so much more weight. Because what did the disciples need in that moment more than anything? What is the very opposite of fear? I think it's peace. Because fear makes your heart kind of jump and race and panic. But fear lets your heart rest and be still. It's an assurance that whatever you're, whatever you're facing, whatever's going on around you, it is okay. It is well with your soul. Jesus says to you, my peace I give to you. And you know, peace is what Jesus came to win for us. That's what the cross was about. That he came to win peace with God. Because since the first men and women, we've rebelled against God in all kinds of ways. In the things we do and say and think that are wrong. It's all an act of rebellion against God, but now through the cross, Jesus has won us peace with him. He's redefined the relationship. He's reconciled us with God and reconciled us with each other. And this is Jesus kind of saying to these disciples, this is what I did for you at the cross. I've won you this peace. What do I give you now? I give you my peace. That's what he says to them. He gives them his peace. And what he does is lovely too, because he shows them his hands and his side. He shows them his hands and his side. And we learn later in John's account that Jesus shows Thomas his wounds, that these wounds are there. 
And Stuart's going to speak about that next week as well when he talks about doubt. But those hands where the nails were hammered through. The place in his side where the spear from the Roman soldier pierced through his flesh. And here's the thing, it was then that the disciples were overjoyed. It was when they saw his hands and his side. What was it about those wounds? What do those wounds show? Well, they show that God is not some distant God who stands back and watches as his fearful people make a mess of this world. He's the God who enters into the depths of human suffering and frailty and pain, who comes down into our mess and who takes all that brokenness and pain upon himself and deals with it completely at the cross. That's what he's like. It shows what God is like. And by his wounds, we are healed. Those are healing wounds that Jesus has. Those wounds show that Jesus is the God who comes close. And they show that he's the risen saviour who has utterly conquered death. See, death itself, this great horrific enemy that causes so much pain and so much sadness. And Jesus just walks away from the grave. Why does the disciples' fear turn into joy at this point? It's because when your greatest fear is dying and you're with the one who's just walked away from the grave, then even death loses its sting. That's good news, isn't it? That even death loses its sting for followers of Jesus. In Hebrews 2.15, it says this of Jesus, that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, now for the Christian, death isn't the end or even something to be feared. It's the doorway to a new life with Jesus. And so in Jesus' presence, fear turns to joy. And you know, in some ways, for the disciples in this moment, not a lot has changed because still the things that terrified them are still outside that door. But in another way, absolutely everything has changed because the risen Jesus is there with them. He's there with them in that moment. David writes in Psalm 16, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's fullness of joy in the presence of Jesus. No matter what we're facing around us, because of his presence, he brings great joy. That's what he wants you to know this morning. In place of that fear that you may be feeling, he wants you to experience peace and he wants you to experience a joy in his presence. So he shows his followers his hands and his side, and then he sends them out and breathes on them. He says, just as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. As if to say, all this stuff that you've seen me doing, all this stuff that we've done together, you're to go and continue the work that I've begun. I've won you this peace, but now you're not to stay here in this locked room. You're not to stay hidden away. I'm sending you out for mission giving you authority to take my peace and my love and my grace out into this broken and fearful world and to proclaim that Jesus is the great answer to people's fears, that when they put their trust in him, they're completely forgiven and they're set free. And Jesus breathes on these followers. He breathes on his friends. And I love this because just as in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God breathed life into the first man. Now, he, now Jesus breathes on his followers and he's, he's saying the way you're going to go and see this world changed is not in your own strength. It's not in your own power. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's what Jesus does. Isn't he good? (laughs) Isn't he good? So we've heard what fear does, and that it lies to us, and what Jesus does, how good he is, how kind he is, how wonderful he is, how powerful he is. But how do we go from being fearful people to seeing our fears completely transformed, to seeing those fears go? You know, I wonder if the problem isn't actually that we fear too much. I wonder if the problem is that we don't fear enough. I'll explain what I mean. See, most fear holds us back, but there's a kind of fear that is liberating. There's a kind of fear that mobilizes us. See, time and again throughout Scripture, you get this idea of the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. In the Psalms, you get the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let all the earth fear the Lord. In the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And if you think that's just an Old Testament thing, well, the Bible doesn't allow you to think that. Because when John gets this vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, he says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Something of the holiness and the glory and the greatness of Jesus makes this man fall to the ground. He simply cannot stand in Jesus' presence. You know, there is one at the center of the universe who is so glorious and so utterly terrifying that it ought to make us quake. And it's not the things that we tend to be scared of. It is Jesus himself. I mean, what kind of power and authority do you have to have to walk away from death itself? To be dead and then to walk away from death. What kind of figure do you have to be for angels to cover their eyes in your presence and cry, holy, holy, holy. See, this Jesus, he's the one who makes death quake. He's the one who makes the darkness tremble. He's the one who silences all fears. See, we may see Jesus as this loving, kind God, and he's so loving and so kind. Let's never lose that. But let's not also lose sight of the power and the glory that Jesus has. See, like me, you may have all kinds of fears. You may fear all kinds of things today, and they may be completely legitimate fears. But those things are nothing near as frightening as the one who has power over that thing. They're nothing in comparison to the one who can walk away from death. You know, in lots of ways, Jesus is scarier than death itself. But here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wonderful truth this morning. And this is why this is such good news. It's because that glorious, all-powerful, holy being of Jesus who can silence death is on our side. He is so for you. And those wounds in his hands and his side show this, that he's completely for you. He conquered the grave because he's for you. And he is utterly faithful to you. And he'll never use that power that he has for evil. He'll always use that for your good. And that's what gives us courage. That's what casts out fear. That's what brings us peace. That's what sees our fears transformed. It's when our fear of God actually outweighs our fear of anything else. When we're overwhelmed with this just sense of awe. Not other things of this world, not by a desire to be successful or to be popular, but to be awed and overwhelmed by the greatness and majesty of Jesus Christ himself. To know that everything we've ever been scared of is nothing in his presence. That's when all other fears lose their power. To know that Jesus, this glorious, powerful one, is on our side. 
Paul put it like this in Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And so whatever you're fearing this morning, hear Jesus' words to you today. Hear those words, peace be with you. He wants to come and stand right in the middle of your fears. This glorious, holy, all-powerful being says to you this morning, peace be with you. And he wants to fill you with his, with his Holy Spirit and send you out in his authority and his name and his power. See, we know what happens next in the story of those disciples. They go out and turn the world upside down. Were they scared sometimes? I imagine they probably were. As they healed the sick, as they raised the dead, there must have been a fear that was in them. But here's the thing, their fear of God, their awe at his majesty, their joy of being in the presence of Jesus far outweighed their fear of man. I wonder, can that be said of us? Can that be said of you today? As I end, I wonder, how much world-changing potential in this room this morning is being held back by fear. See, we don't know yet what happens next in our story. We don't know yet what lives will be changed in Hazelmere and down in High Wycombe. We don't know what stories we'll hear at future baptism mornings of people coming to faith through meeting with Jesus. But what we do know is that the truth of who Jesus is must not stay in this room. And so what fears are you facing this morning? If they're stopping you from living the life that you've been called to live, the life that Jesus has won for you, then let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us a big picture of who Jesus is. This Jesus who died for us and then walked away from the grave. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Well, the Lord is here this morning. In his presence, may you know and experience a fullness of joy that casts out all fear. Amen? Amen. Amen.